0: If you got your Bibles, turn to uh, Mark chapter 8, is where we are uh, in our journey uh, through this. We're, we're about to hit the halfway point. There are 16 chapters in Mark, and so at the end of the day, we will be halfway through this book. And if you've been coming since we started this, you would be like, Oh my gosh, we're only halfway through? We've been doing this uh, forever. Like, this is the longest series you've ever done, Patrick, and it, it probably is. But uh, I'm really excited about this series, because every week, it has just been... I don't know, I I love to read fiction books. I love to read books that just build on themselves. You're able to look back and be like, oh, that's why that was in there. And now you're getting a bigger part of the story and you're seeing these pieces come together. And I'm seeing that as we study Mark. That these, these stories that we looked at a few weeks ago... Like they're starting to play another role. We're starting to see them play out. The plot is thickening. The the scope of things is getting grander, and we're starting to see and experience and understand more of who Jesus is. And we're we're kind of coming to the end of what I would call the second part of this uh, book. Uh, the first four chapters were about the person of Jesus. Mark kind of introduced us to him and told us who he was, what he was about, his intentions why he was here, why I'm even writing this book about this man who lived 2,000 years ago. And then these last four chapters have been about the power of Jesus, how he's been expressing his power and authority. And we talked a few weeks ago about how he's not, he didn't come to hoard that power, but he came to, to give it away and to give authority and ownership to other people to send people out, not to, de, not to develop this earthly kingdom but the spiritual kingdom that would spread out all throughout the world and all throughout time. And last week we talked about this idea that even in his power, he didn't go along with the orthodoxy of his day. He pushed back on the traditions and the customs and says, that's not it, there's something different, there's something new, and we've been learning about his power. And when you think about power, you think about somebody who had power thousands of years ago, you think, well that power must have waned by this point. I mean, you think about some of the, the great rulers of the past, you know, that we study in history books, Julius Caesar, uh, the great conquerors of our, our world, Nero, and all these people, you're like, all right, they had an impact, and maybe we're still feeling a bit of that impact, but I don't wake up every day thinking about Nero or Constantine, you know, these people that, that ruled hundreds and thousands of years ago. But I do wake up every morning thinking about Jesus, Because there's a truth that his power is so potent that it doesn't wane. It doesn't go away. Think about it. Even in his years, during the course of his life, it did not wane. He demonstrated his power and authority even over death. And we will read and we are continuing to read stories of healing, miraculous signs, unmatched wisdom, unparalleled love and compassion from Jesus from his entire life. It wasn't just a season. This was who he was. But then there's this amazing thing that his power also has not diminished even over the years since the time his time on earth. His power and authority are still active today in our lives and the lives of those who submit to him. When we allow his authority to rule in our life, it pushes back on the darkness of our own hearts and in the darkness of this world. It brings redemption, restoration, and renewal to all things. And as amazing as that is, Sometimes we still wake up and forget about Jesus. We forget that he's a part of our life and that he's still active in our world today. Even though he has been faithful and demonstrated that power, authority, and his grace and love throughout the years, we still forget about Jesus at times in our life and certainly in our culture. And we say, well, you know what? It's all right. I mean, it's easy to forget something that happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's a story we read, but but the truth is that the Bible is filled with stories of Jesus' power and authority changing people's lives, but it is not the only testimony of it. I'm grateful that we have this book that gives testimony to the power and authority of Jesus, but there is testimony beyond just the recorded history that we find in the Bible. Our history of people are filled with the power and authority of Jesus that shape our lives and bring hope and peace to our world. People like St. Augustine, John Wycliffe, Thomas Moore, William Tyndall, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, all who fought to push back on the corruption of religion and make sure the true message of Jesus was pushed out. Women like Elizabeth Fry, Florence Nightingale, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Lisieux, and Mother Teresa. If you want to be a saint, Name your daughter Teresa. There's a lot of of great Teresa's, but they worked tirelessly to make sure the hope of Jesus was taken to those in greatest need. Contemporaries like Billy Graham and Martin Luther King, who proclaimed the gospel in the midst of great cultural injustices. These are just a few of thousands upon thousands of names who have carried on and pushed forward the power and authority of Jesus. This list is enormous and unending. It's filled with people from all walks of life, all genders, all ethnic backgrounds. There is no shortage of testimony of the power and authority of Jesus from the moment of his birth until his death and until his resurrection and until this very present moment. But yet we can still forget. We can still forget. Why is this? Why can we in the span of just a few hours experience worship in an environment like this, focus our hearts and minds on Jesus, listen to his teaching and say, I needed that. And then within just a few hours, we walk out and some circumstance comes into our life and we totally forget and we move off in our own power. Why do we do that? To let our hearts be drawn away so easily. The truth is this. This is not a new problem for humanity. This is not something we are just struggling with 2,000 years after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Even though it is present today, it was also present during the time that Jesus walked on this earth. And this is what Mark 8 is about. Before we jump into Mark 8, let me tell you just as a reminder what had been going on. Jesus had been healing hundreds of people, casting out demons, teaching with incredible authority and wisdom. Just a few chapters earlier, he had fed 5,000 plus people with just a few loaves and fishes. He had walked on water, calmed storms. He was literally reading people's minds, and he brought a girl back to life. All of this had happened in just a few short months in Jesus' life, and then Mark 8 happens. And so let's read this together, and as we journey through this, I want to see how easy it is for us to journey to forgetfulness of the power of Jesus. Mark 8, 1 says this, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far, far away. And the disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Does this sound familiar? I mean, just a few... Chapters ago, there was a group of 5,000 people, desolate place, not much to eat. And Jesus said, I'll take compassion on these people. And so you get the picture here like Jesus, he doesn't wait for the disciples to bring the problem up this time. He's like, all right, I'm going to lay you guys a little test out there. I have compassion on these people. You know that. I care for them. We're in a desolate place. They're hungry. What do you think we should do? And they're like, I don't know. How would we feed So many people, I mean, when you hear this, you've got to be Jesus. You're like, what is going on? He tells his disciples this, and what do they do? Do they remember the time just a short while ago that he fed an even bigger crowd with no resources? No. They're still like, how could one do this? How could even you do this? They're shocked. They have somehow already forgotten Jesus. And Jesus was like, don't you get it this time? Don't you get it? And they didn't. Then verse 5. So what does he do? And then he asked them, all right, guys, how many loaves do we have this time? Like, he's just he you get that feel like he's a little exasperated? Like, come on, guys. And then they said, seven. And he was like, all right. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, took the seven loaves, having given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and sent them before the people. Do you think they were like, this seems familiar? Like, do you think at all? I mean, you would think that they would think that. And then they sat them before the crowd and They had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said uh, that this all should should set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over and had seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people that day, and then he sent them away. And then immediately, verse 10, he gets into a boat with his disciples, and they go to the district of Malguthia. And the Pharisees come and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Like, if Jesus was, like, a little frustrated with the disciples, like, you could see that exasperated spirit. Now he's like, oh, you guys again. Pharisees. Like, you guys are coming after me again. And he sighed in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Which is kind of funny, because how many signs had he been performing? I mean, he's just like, I'm not like... What he's saying is, there is no sign I can do. If you don't believe by now, you're never going to believe. There's no sign I can give you to overcome your unbelief. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. And here's what Jesus is like. He's like, now it's the Pharisees. They show up wanting to test me again. Show us more signs. Give us more reason to believe. And if you don't do what we tell you to do, it means that you're not who you say you are. And they forgotten that just a few chapters ago, they had watched Jesus... Heal a man paralyzed, give sight to a blind man, heal a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, bring this little girl back to life? Had they forgotten that every time they had tried to trap him with spiritual conundrums and riddles, that he had perceived their hearts, read their minds, and answered them with such wisdom that they went away in silence? Had they forgotten all this? Now that they demanded a new sign, another sign? I don't know about you, but as you're reading through this, you're like, my first thought is like, how are these people so dumb? But the point is, when I get to the end of this story, I find myself in this story way too often. So let's jump to verse 14. Now they, the disciples, had, they're moving on. He, had, he was done with the uh, Pharisees, and he says, Now they, the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. <laughs> now, isn't that just a little funny? I mean, they had seven, lo- seven baskets left over of bread from, and they got in the boat and they forgot to bring the bread with them, all right, the disciples. And they had only one loaf with them on the boat. And he cautioned them, Jesus gets back in the boat and he's cautioned them saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing, not what Jesus had just said, but they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Get the picture here. This is, this is just crazy. Jesus is getting back in the boat with his disciples. He is frustrated with the Pharisees. He was like, these men, they don't listen to a thing. They don't, they've not seen anything. I've been trying to show them nothing. And now he's back with his friends. And he's going to vent a little. And he's like, guys, just beware of those Pharisees. Be, they're, they're snakes. They're, beware of those who follow Herod. Like, Just be careful of them. And they're like, Okay, Jesus. And then what do they do? They start arguing about what they're going to do for dinner again. They're like, we just got this one loaf. Who's not eating tonight? Which one of you guys is not quite hungry? You know, who's, who's going without food tonight? They go back to their big issue at hand, which is only having one loaf of bread. Can you imagine the forgetfulness of these men? Verse 17. And Jesus aware of this said to them why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread you idiots it's like i think the paraphrase that he puts in there do you not perceive or understand are your hearts hardened having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear and do you not remember if you thought jesus was frustrated with the pharisees can you now hear an even greater frustration in his words with his disciples? Do you not remember? And he goes on to remind them. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, I can can just hear him emphasizing these words. How many baskets of full broken pieces did you take up? Uh, They said to him, 12, 12. And and the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many full baskets of pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And it's probably not recorded here, but he was like, why didn't you guys bring that with us? Why are we not eating that tonight? And then he said to them, do you not understand? The truth is this. This is where I want us to focus today. They remembered the facts, but they didn't understand the truth behind the facts. And this is what we do so often. I can recall, I read stories, I read the Bible, and I can recall facts and memory, but I don't understand the truth behind the facts. And this is what he's saying when you don't understand. Jesus wasn't just doing miracles to show off. He wasn't just teaching to show up the Pharisees. He wasn't healing the sick just to be famous. He was doing it because he cared for people. He had compassion on them. He wanted them to experience the fullness of life instead of bickering over the crumbs of religion. Jesus' detractors forgot this. Jesus' friends and closest followers still couldn't understand why. I think he points to it in verses 17 and 18, when he says the truth is that your, your mind is dull, your ears are closed, your eyes can't see, your heart is hardened. And the truth is that there are 12 disciples in this boat, and there are probably 12 different reasons that they forgot or didn't understand, but it falls into these four categories. This idea that You know, I don't think clearly. I don't feel correctly. My vision is clouded and the information I'm working on I'm listening to is corrupt in some ways. Why do I forget Jesus? Why do you forget Jesus? Today, what I want to finish our teaching time with this is a little bit of a personal confession. It's easy and very often to, to look at other people's lives, to look at the disciples' lives, to look at the Pharisees and say like, you know, how could they forget? They're so dumb. How did they do this? But what's... Not as easy to do as to look into my own life and say, what, when don't I see clearly? What makes me forget? And so what I did this week is I began to ask myself, why do I forget Jesus sometimes in my life? If the 12 disciples in the boat had 12 different reasons to forget Jesus, then I should at least be able to identify a couple of reasons of why I forget him. And the truth is I did not have any trouble coming up with a couple of reasons. And so I stopped at 12 like the disciples and so uh and they fall into these categories and so i want to share them and just be honest with you and these may be some that you struggle with you may struggle with something completely different but the truth is we're the pharisees we're the disciples we forget just as often as they do let me tell you why sometimes i don't think clearly why my mind is clouded and dull and if the first one is this is i often think that my problems are bigger than jesus I know that's not true. I know the fact, but I don't let allow that truth to penetrate my life. Just like the disciples, I tend to make my problems the biggest thing in my life. Whatever issue I have, whatever thing I'm lacking, becomes the center point of my thoughts. I stop looking at Jesus, and I start focusing on my problems. My problems get bigger than Jesus. second thing I do is I don't equate Jesus' past faithfulness to his present provision. I can talk about what he's done in the past, but I don't equate that to anything that he's going to do for me in the future. Just because Jesus answered a prayer for me in the past, I think, doesn't mean that he's going to come do it again. Maybe I just got lucky. Maybe I happened to be in the right place at the right time, or maybe Jesus was just in a good mood that day, and everything came together. All these things keep me from seeing how his faithfulness is actually a pathway forward for his provision. And I get stuck sometimes thinking, even though he did it then, Will he do it again? And I stopped thinking clearly. And the third thing is this. It's as hard as it to admit it sometimes. Sometimes I think the power of Jesus is limited or restricted. I think something not just bigger than him, but even though he worked on a previous issue, he can't help me now. This one's just too big. Our problems are coming too often. I have to call him again. I have to text him again. I have to pray again. Like isn't he getting tired of hearing from me? And we just think that maybe his powers limited or restricted because of his own guidelines or because of some other force in the universe. And we stop thinking clearly. This is why he said, do you not perceive? Do you not understand? I fed 5,000, I fed 4,000. I've healed this, 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 and this. I brought people back from the dead and you still think you have a problem bigger than me? Dinner is a bigger problem then what you've seen me overcome and we stop thinking clearly but then sometimes I, I don't feel correctly my heart is hardened and here's what leads me to that is one is this sometimes i doubt who jesus really is Now you may think well, i don't want to hear my pastor say that but i think it's true for all of us sometimes we actually ask act, is jesus really god in the flesh Does he really have all power and authority? Is he really still a factor in life today? Does he still really love me unconditionally? Does he still really want the best for me? All these questions make me feel like Jesus sometimes is not enough. And it brings doubt into my life. And my heart begins to feel that I can't rely on Jesus. I have to rely on something else or someone else or, or myself. But the second thing I can do is this. I can think that I'm going to owe Jesus something if I ask him to do something for me, because that's the way every other relationship works, right? And if I do something good for you, then in the back of my mind, I want something done good for me. You ever shown up to one of those birthday parties when it's like, you know, don't. No, no presents needed or whatever, and you show up and, like, everybody else has a present. <laughs> but you, you're like, did you guys not read or what? But, like, people do that because why? They want to give a gift because when it's their birthday, what do they want in return? They want a gift in return. And we equate that to Jesus. What will he want from me if I ask him to help me out with this? What's he going to make me do? When is the repayment going to come due? It makes me live a detached life from Jesus. I won't ask him because I don't want to owe him. And It makes my heart feel the wrong way. The third thing it does is this. Sometimes I would rather, and those who hang out with me know this, I would rather ponder on the meaning of the problem than just experience his provision. Sometimes it's just nice to think about, I wonder why I'm going through this. And I ponder it deeply and, and make it the center in the gym that I look at. I'll ponder the meaning of suffering, the deep truth of the brokenness of our culture, of my own heart. And the problem sometimes has become a tool I use to teach myself instead of allowing the provision of God to guide my heart and my soul. It's not wrong to look at our problems and try to understand our problems, but sometimes I make that the tool rather than God's provision the tool. My heart has shifted. My heart's become cloudy. The third thing that it can do is it can cloud our vision, right? And here's how this shows up in my life. And when my vision gets cloudy is I don't think Jesus sees my problems. It's not that he doesn't care, like we talked about. But this one, all I think, is like all Jesus is worried about is my obedience. He's not worried about my problems. I just better obey him or my problems are going to get worse. And we think that he doesn't see the problems that I'm facing. We're just stuck in it. We better deal with it, not complain, just get through it. And this is when my vision is cloudy, because I lose sight of what God really wants for me, that he has compassion for me, that he is excited about bringing good into my life. The second way my vision gets cloudy is this, is that I don't think Jesus is actually paying attention to my life, that he's become this distracted, distant person. Jesus isn't even here Today, How can he actually know what I'm going through in these day-to-day issues? Jesus doesn't understand this culture, this world, this day. Maybe he was a, a genius and a, and a prophet and a sage 2,000 years ago, but he just doesn't understand today. He's not paying attention. Yeah, he was, We have some good teachings to look back on, but currently and presently in my life today, what does he have to offer? In the past, but not the present. It's easy to get caught up in that and that kind of having your vision cloudy. And the third way is this, is I keep waiting to see what Jesus will do next instead of actually experiencing what he's doing now. As I keep thinking, one day God's going to do something great in my life. One day Jesus will show up and really answer a prayer versus realize that he's answering a prayer every moment, every day of my life. I'm waiting for this big issue to get solved instead of realizing that he's actually been journeying with me through this small step, this small step, this small step and this small step. And I forget that He is here today, now, to meet my needs. My vision can get cloudy. But the last thing He says is our ears. Do you even hear? And what He means is, is there other information that's coming in and corrupting your thought? And here's how that shows up in my life. Sometimes I'd rather be defined by my problem than by Jesus' solution. Sometimes I I like the attention I get when I talk about the hardships that I'm going through. Instead of giving praise and honor to Jesus for dealing with them, I take that and I'm, I make the suffering and how I'm suffering, how I've been wrong, how I'm lacking. I like the attention that I get when I elevate those and make those central. People come around me. People want to encourage me. People want to give me attention then and I elevate that. I actually start looking for encouragement there than actually a solution from Jesus and an answer. From Jesus. second way I do this is sometimes I prefer to argue over rational solutions rather than experience supernatural answers. Here's what I mean with that. I can come up with a reason to explain anything that has happened in my life and rationally how I got there and how I can get myself out of it. I can ponder these things with friends and family. I can talk about what I need to do to make myself better to get out of this situation instead of holding my hands up in desperation to Jesus and saying, you are my only hope. Sometimes I love being able to explain how Jesus worked rather than saying it was an unexplainable thing. I can't put my hand on it. I can't explain it. It was not by my hard work. It was not by my... Faithfulness. It was not by my doing or somebody else's doing. It was by the supernatural work of Christ in my life. And sometimes I'd rather lean back into the rational. And the last thing I do is this. I, I, my, my ears get closed because I don't want to sound ridiculous to others by expressing my full faith in Jesus. So like You know what? It's okay to have some faith. Just not quite that much. I calm down a little bit, right? You don't have to be a fanatic. Yes, Jesus loves me, but he, maybe he doesn't love me that much. Yes, I need him to help me, but I don't need him to help. You know, I can help myself first. Yeah, I, I need his forgiveness, but I'm not really ready to admit the sins that I have that I'm in need of forgiveness for. And sometimes it's okay to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus. But to say my life is surrendered to him, That all that I have is based on him. It sounds a little too ridiculous sometimes to even ourselves and to others. And this is why we forget Jesus. There's just 12 reasons I came up with. I'm sure if we brainstormed more, we could all come up with other reasons that we are those same disciples sitting in that boat arguing over a loaf of bread instead of looking to the man who could feed us for all eternity. How do we remember then? How do we get past this trap? I just want to give you a couple of things that have shown up in my life that have helped me deal with my cloud mind, my hard heart, my blind eyes and my deaf ears. And the first thing to do is just stop, stop, stop. There comes a point in this process where you just have to press the stop button and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I've been in control for way too long. And all I'm doing is going around in circles. You have to stop and point out what you're dealing with and call it by name. Fear, doubt, and depression. Maybe that's the problem that you're dealing with. Sin, shame, guilt. Maybe that's what's ruling your life. Pain, loss, and bitterness have seemed too big to overcome. Lust, greed, envy, pride seem to be ruling and driving your life. Feeling lacking, unworthy, unloved seem to always put you behind. Peel back the layers and expose to the core and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with. Hit the stop button. Stop acting like everything is okay. Stop acting like you can solve it. Stop acting like Jesus doesn't care. Just hit the stop button. And once you hit the stop button, then you have to shift. You have to shift your focus from the problem not to the solution, but to the Savior. And this is where I fall short very often. Uh, It's easy for me to say, okay, let's move from the problem to the solution. But I don't need to stop there. I need to keep my eyes focused completely on the Savior. If you deal with fear, doubt, and depression, Jesus is hope. Sin, shame, and guilt got you overwhelmed, Jesus is forgiveness. Pain, loss, and bitterness, Jesus is compassion. You're dealing with lust greed, envy, or pride, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. If you're feeling lacking, unworthy, or unloved, Jesus is sufficient. And we find these truths, we experience these truths, not in isolation, but in community and worship. When we come together at times like this, when we engage in conversations with one another in community and we allow the body of Christ to minister and work in our lives, we, our, our focus is shifted from our problems not to the solution but to the Savior. And the third thing is when, our, when we focus our, shift our focus is then we surrender. Surrender. We let go of the problems, let go of the doubts, let go of the perceptions, and we grab hold of Jesus. And surrender. When you think about surrender, it's kind of that imagery of holding your hands up, making yourself vulnerable, open to attack, saying, I'm not coming after you, but if you want to, I'm completely vulnerable. Can I help you hear something this morning? When we do that, when we throw our hands up to Jesus and surrender, it isn't for Him to attack us, to berate us, to cut us down. It's for Him to reach down and pick us up, and to hold us, and to draw us near. To him, So my question of the day is this, where are you forgetting Jesus? What is your loaf of bread that you're holding? And saying, we only got one loaf. What am I going to do? Where are you forgetting Jesus in your life? Would you let him break through your dull mind, your hard heart, your blind eyes, and your deaf ears and remember him? The beauty is just a few verses later. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, finally gets it. In these verses, Jesus poses a question to his disciples, and he says, Who do people say that I am? Who do you think that I am? He was seeing that they had forgotten again. Mark 8, 27 through 29 says this, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, the others say Elijah, and our other one of the prophets. And then he asked, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Peter remembered. Peter had broken through with a dull mind, closed eyes and closed ears and a hard heart. And just like the disciples, if we aren't intentional in remembering, we're going to forget. And we've got to become like Peter and be intentional in remembering. One of the ways that we remember is to take a time of communion together. Jesus has given us a reminder, a specific way to remember him. He actually commanded us, do this in memory of me, in remembrance of me. So do you'll remember my life, my teachings, my sacrifice, the overcoming of death, the overcoming of problems, he knew that this issue of forgetfulness was not going to end with his resurrection. It was going to plague us for all eternity. And so what I want to challenge, well, hopefully not all eternity, when we get to to be with Jesus, we won't doubt and won't forget. But in our life, we deal with this. And so I want us to end this time together with a time of remembrance by sharing communion together. What is communion? It's designed for those who have surrendered their life to Christ, who have a relationship to remember, who have forgiveness to remember. It's also, like I said, a time of remembrance of the forgiveness and salvation that we have experienced through Jesus. But it is also a time of celebration, to celebrate not what God, Jesus did, but what Jesus is doing in our life. So if you're part of our faith family, you know how we do this. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray, and then there'll be a plate of bread and, and wine and juice down here, and you can come and as a family, as an individual, as friends, as a group, and experience this together. Take a piece of the bread and dip it into the juice and in remembrance, take it as a memory of the body broken for you, of the blood shed for you, and of the the way that Jesus overcame every obstacle so that you and I can walk in freedom and truth, grace and peace. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? as we come to this time of remembrance today may we come not out of obligation not out of a sense of duty but Father may we come with a sense of joy and remembrance that we're not simply holding a loaf of bread a piece of bread but God we are holding your provision in our hand that this piece of bread that we dip and take God, it's something you multiply we take it in and it doesn't just sustain us physically, but it brings joy into my life. It brings peace into my life. It brings hope into my life. It brings forgiveness into my life because of what you have done. So God, may we take this today in remembrance and may it clear our dull minds. May it open up our cloudy vision. May it open our ears and soften our hearts and help us to remember.